The Real Investment Show. I wanted to start out with, uh, before we get into the whole, you know, government shutdown, things like that, um, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about Fed, the Fed's Mary Daly. Uh, she was out yesterday talking about, well, if we could just improve equality for individuals, the economic growth in this country would be a lot stronger. And she's absolutely right, right? If we could, we, if we could make everybody equal... Um, then, you know, economic growth would theoretically be stronger. Unfortunately, that's not the way that it really works. First of all, there's a huge difference between equality and, and, and equality and opportunity. We can make everybody equal. And when you make everybody equal, you make everybody equal at the lowest common denominator. If you make opportunity and, and give people an equal chance at opportunity, you will create stronger economic growth, but everybody will not be equal. You will have those that succeed and you will have those that fail and you will have the, uh, many of those that won't even take advantage of the opportunity. That's just the way it works. That's the way capitalism works. So the idea, though, of course, is what she's referring to is that we should get have a better economic outcome so that African-Americans and, his, and Hispanics and Asian-Americans and everybody have, the, have an equality. Well, if you want to create equality, get the hell out of the markets. <laughs> if you take a look at the financial breakdown of the economy, there's actually a couple of good charts out this morning. The amount of household net worth, in other words, uh, individuals that own equities, right, is now at the highest level on record. Now we have household ownership of equities is now at a higher level than it was back in 2000. Unfortunately, that sounds like everybody owns it, right? Everybody's equal. Households own more equity now in the markets than before the dot-com crisis. Problem is, is only the ten, top 10% of income earners own 90% of it. So that's been a direct function. We've done some charts on this and, and et cetera, is that that inequality of wealth started when the Fed began to intervene in the financial markets back in 2008. And that's where we have had this massive ramp up. The bottom 50% of Americans have basically no participation in the financial markets. So if you really want, if, if Fed's Mary Daly really wants to solve a problem, resign and leave the Fed because you are the problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, Mike? <laughs> right, right. I would, I would tell Mary Daly, just let capitalism work. Mm -hmm. And one of the core tenets of capitalism is markets and, and failure, business, financial failure. Let firms fail. Let people fail. Let the market, let those with money, savers, and those that want to borrow set the interest rates. And when you do that, you get a lot more opportunity for everyone, for the entire population. And when you have op opportunity spread out across a population, mm -hmm. you do have more equality. And we know that. And we've seen enough statistics to show that the more the, more the Fed meddles in markets, the, the less equality there is. And it's because there's less opportunity. Most people cannot invest in stocks. Well, who's the prime beneficiary of what the Fed's doing? Right? It's stockholders. Right. Right? And it, it goes across, it cuts across so many different things. Who can really borrow money? It's wealthy people. They have more collateral. So who can take advantage of low rates? And so they're not creating the opportunity part of that equation. They're taking away the opportunity part. Mm -hmm. Well, and, that, and that's absolutely right. And again, you know, it's, it's this, but this is the whole kind of the false premise that 
we see in the markets and, and, and from a lot of commentaries like, oh, we need, you know, we need better equality. Equality is not a good thing. Um, when you talk about making everybody equal, that's socialism. And when everybody is equal, you make everybody equal at the lowest common denominator because the only way you can make everybody equal is that you have to bring everybody down. You can't lift everybody up because there's always those at the bottom that don't want to participate. They don't want to be part of the system. Whatever it is, you're always going to have that. So to make everybody equal, and this is why socialism always fails, is that it makes everybody equal at the lowest common denominator, except those at the very top. The wealthy always remain wealthy, right? So Right. You take away incentive. Exactly. That's really what you're doing. And without incentive, you wouldn't have any of these great inventions. Why invent anything if you're going to have exactly what you had before? Mm -hmm. Why take a chance and open a new store? Or, you know, try to invent something new. You, you wouldn't because or most likely you wouldn't because there's no advantage to it. Right. And if you do, then you know, the, whatever you create is taken away from you and shared with everybody else. This is and that's the whole premise right. behind it. And look, you know, capitalism isn't perfect. And everybody seems to think that capitalism is supposed to be this perfect, wonderful thing that just makes everything better. No, capitalism is actually fairly vicious. It's Darwinistic. And to your point those that succeed will succeed and those that fail will fail and that is the way capitalism is designed to work but that's also why to your point we've had the greatest innovation in history in the united states we've got the the in terms of wealth per individual per capita wealth even the poor people in this country are rich compared to poor people in other countries so um right. you know the the amount of wealth in the united states is head and shoulders above every other country and that's been because of this of this ability to have capitalism work and under under uh, Mary Daly's idea, we're going to continue to destroy that capitalistic function and create a, a system that is much more socialistic in nature and doesn't serve the economy or wealth generators well. Right, right. It, it's 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 scary. It's scary what the Fed, what government is doing, right? They, they are trying to equalize, and equalizing is taken away the power that this country, economic power that this country has, has had and has built up over the last 200 plus years, right? I mean, if you just think about it, our economy is over 20 trillion. Look at Germany. Germany was once, you know, United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Those, they have, their GDPs are well under, they're are under 5 trillion. We're four, five times the size of those countries, four mm -hmm. or five times the size of Japan. I mean, the only country that's even close to us is China. And why is China close to us? Because they have been adapting some capitalistic principles. They're not capitalistic. They're, they're not a democracy. But they are doing things to incent their people, mm -hmm. right? There are now non-political people that have money. Even the working class has more money than they had before. And, so, and, by the, and by the way, just as Mike talks about this, uh, Mike does have a new article out yesterday talking about the China-U.S. relationship and, and what's happening in terms of economic growth and equality and, and opportunity and why China is becoming a much bigger threat to the U.S. over time. And, and this is really kind of part of it, Mike, right, is that they are doing things now that we look at and go, wow, man, that's, that's terrible. They're limiting time on social media. They're taking away video games from kids. You know, how could they do that? That's not that's right. you know, that's those terrible communists. Maybe not. Well, that's the problem that that's so. And, and I struggled with this when I wrote the article. You know, I, I abhor 
communism. It's awful. It's an awful system for so many different reasons, right? But they can do things that we can't do, nor should we do, right? Mm -hmm. They are limiting TikTok usage. They're getting rid of cryptocurrency. They're, they're trying to really tone down real estate speculation. We can't tell our kids they can't game for one hour during a week, Monday through Thursday, and then I think it's two or three hours or something like that mm-hmm. on the weekends, right? It's just not, it, it's not the country we're in, nor do we want that. We don't want government telling us what to do and what not to do. Because parents would actually have to pay attention to their kids if they weren't on video games, right? Exactly. <laughs> but but under communism, they can do things that are making themselves a much more productive country. And we should be doing similar things. How do we make America more productive? Well, it's not going to be limiting social media, but it's going to be incentivizing doing something else other than social media. It's going to, you know, th- there's so many things this country could be doing to start going back towards capitalism. We're not capitalism anymore. Right. We're, we're much more akin to socialism. And we've had this argument before. I think we may be more socialist than a lot of European countries. And no one wants to admit it. But that's the path <laughs> that we've been on for the last 20, 30 years. Well, and that's and look, that that comes right down to, you know, what we're seeing. You know, it's interesting, too. I just, you know, just Angela Merkel um, you know, she's the conservative party in Germany, and they just lost out to social Democrats and in a big way. I mean, it was a stunning election in Germany. And, you know, we look at our election here that we just had, and we have Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and and a very socialistic agenda. You know, we're now debating over this three and a half trillion dollar social spending bill to do things that are very socialistic in nature, providing, you know, additional child care. And, and these things sound great on the surface, right? Free community college. Uh, we need to give $3 billion for tree equity. I don't even know what tree equity is, but, you know, I, I guess we're going to make trees equal. Uh, you know, if you're a redwood, you can't be a redwood. You've got to be an oak. I don't know what that means, but $3 billion in it. Uh, <laughs> we're spending there. Um, but again, you look at where we're spending all this money. It's on this idea of providing more social support um, for the economy. That does not lead to increased levels of innovation or growth. And again, as we have talked about, these socialistic programs drag everybody to the lower level and increase, it doesn't decrease that wealth gap. It actually uh, increases the disparity between the rich and the poor because you're going to make more people poor over time through these programs. Right, right. And, you know, when you give something for free, it has much less value than when you work for it and when you pay for it. And that's the problem. You know, I, my father used to commute planes, trains, and automobiles to get to his college every day. It's this two-hour trek on the subway in New York and buses and this and that, but he worked his ass off because he knew he didn't want to do that, and he knew he had to learn, and he was successful because of that. Right. If it was just given to him and he could just go to the school right next door, he probably would have been less successful because he didn't have to earn it. Quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to shift gears. Um, So the Senator Chuck Schumer last night talking about needing to get a continuing resolution passed today. Uh, The goal is to vote on that today to fund the government through December the 3rd. Uh, Futures are pointing higher this morning, coming off their 100-day moving average again, retested it again yesterday. What does all this mean for markets and particularly the bond market, which has been one of the big concerns, surging interest rates? We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz when we come back right after the break. Don't go away. Before we jump into this uh, daily debate, I wanted to 
say one more thing about Fed Mary Daly and her comments that we need to create more equity and opportunity in the country. You know, one of the, the problems, and this is something the Fed created in particular by doing quantitative easing. And of course, in March of 2020, they were buying junk bond ETFs, et cetera, to bail out all these companies. And again, you know, the, the, the primary function of, of capitalism is Darwinistic. And when companies make bad financial decisions, they need to go out of business instead of bailing them out. And by keeping these companies, and we call them zombie companies, these are companies that only exist today because they have access to cheap debt. And again, as Mike said a few moments ago, is that, you know, if you have money, um, you can get access to debt, right? People loan you money if you have money. If you don't need money, the banks are happy to lend you money. And if you are and if you owe the bank a lot of money, right, the banks are happy to loan you money because they don't want you to default. They're just going to lend you more money to try to hope. And there's an old saying is like, if you owe the bank one hundred thousand dollars, it's your problem. If you owe the bank a million dollars, it's the bank's problem. And this is a very true statement. And the problem with the Fed and all the things they've done to prop up equity markets has limited and has actually taken away opportunity for uh, African-Americans and Hispanics and Asian-Americans, it's taken away opportunity from them to fill the void that would be left by a company that went bankrupt, right? So if I have a company out there in the energy uh, energy drilling space or whatever it is, and we keep bailing them out, uh, even though their their business is faulty, by not by keeping them in business, it limits opportunity for somebody else to come into that space and create a successful business. And this has been one of the big drivers of inequality over time as well, is that we've limited, and, and Mike made, made this point, we've limited innovation and opportunity by keeping businesses in business that should not be. And we continue to do that today. Okay, having said that. Um, no, big- uh, good, I'm glad, I'm glad you're finally on the tirade because <laughs> it seems about once a month we get on this topic and I get all pissed off <laughs> because it's, it's really the downfall of America. Yeah. It's we know what made us such a great country. You know, we lifted weights, lifted weights for 200 years. And then all of a sudden we said, you know what? We don't need to lift weights. We can just we're, we're so big now. We can just eat cake and, and watch TV. And that's what we're doing. We're really lazy now. Mm-hmm. We're a lazy country and we're trying to do things the easy way. And what you're doing is you're making a very small part of the population very wealthy but those are the people that like the system, that create these rules, that do these things. Right? Look at the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. They just had two members basically quit for health reasons. Quote, unquote. It's because they were inside <laughs> insider trading. We find out that one of them is trading in million-dollar lots, S&P futures. Mm-hmm. Right? He's got – he has enough money that he can trade in million-dollar lots. Right. Right? Who's making the rules? Powell has – a, a lot of money estimated mm-hmm. to be well north of 20 million, maybe 50 million, right? Yeah. Look at Congress. Nancy, Nancy Pelosi's 114 million. Right. Yeah. Right. Who also inside trades, and yeah. that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Right. I mean, but that's the problem. The the beneficiaries of this system want to enhance what they're doing. It, mm-hmm. it makes them wealthier. Yeah. At the expense of the economy. So, uh, yeah. So let's shift gears here real quick, because this has been the one thing kind of weighing on markets uh, over the course of the last really few days in particular has been this whole threat of the debt ceiling. Interest rates have been surging over fears of of (laughs) that we're going to default on our debt. And again, that was never that was never really a risk. But, you know, again, this is what people think in headlines. 
So interest rates were spiking, stocks were going down. If, if, you know, we just went through a massive bear market, 3.6% decline for the S&P <laughs> through yesterday. It's been terrible. Um, but now we've got uh, Senator Chuck Schumer looking to push through a continuing resolution today that will fund the government through December 3rd, avert the government shutdown. This should bode well for stocks to settle down here a bit, potentially even for bond yields to come back down to earth. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you also have quarter end. Yeah. So, you know, you got a lot of these fears and what a lot of money managers do that report quarterly is they want to show their clients that they're invested in the right places. So if you kind of look at things right now, do you, you know, if you had to show a client what he owns or mm -hmm. she owns, would you show them a thing full of bonds? No, you <laughs> want to sell some of those bonds. Do you sell show them something that's been going down a lot? No, you don't. Maybe you have extra cash. So that's what it's called window dressing, and that's what's done. Yeah. Also, the banks have capital requirements, so they tend to sell assets as well at quarter end. But then, wouldn't you know it, come October 1st or come the first day of the next quarter, they all seem to buy them back. <laughs> yeah. That's tomorrow, dressing. by the way. Right, right. So, you know what, you, you have a few negatives going on in a market. You know, we've seen this debt cap over and over again, and and the, the same lines, the same statements yeah. made by the Democrats and Republicans this time. If you go back two years ago, they were same exact lines, just opposite parties saying the same exact things. They keep they, they make it political theater. Right. We don't even have to know about this. The Democrats have the votes. They don't need to make this theater, but they do. And the Republicans do, too. And it's a game they play. And ultimately, the government will be funded. They're not going to default. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this will be behind us. And it's certainly been there's been a lot of pressure on yields, pushing yields higher. But yields are still minuscule. You know, and you can go look at a 300 year graph of yields. And guess what? They're still minuscule. <laughs> right. And and like you said, the stock market's down, what, 4 percent? Yeah. Well, and again, you know, I mean, we and look, and just to put that into perspective, I've got an article coming out on this tomorrow on our website, kind of going through the history of this whole debt ceiling thing. We've raised the debt ceiling 79 times since 1980. And so three Republican administrations, three Democrat administrations, it doesn't matter whoever's in office. We just continue to raise the debt ceiling. And beginning in 2008, we just even quit doing a budget. Now we just do these continued resolutions, which just increase spending at 8% a year every year. So, you know, we'll pass this continuing resolution. It'll take us through December 3rd. We'll have to pass another one in December the 3rd. We'll be back in the same boat again. But we don't even go through the, you know, as, as Mike said, the political theater of even trying to pass a budget. I mean, we don't even right. debate a budget anymore. We just debate continuing resolutions. And talk about getting lazy, Mike. I mean, you know, our elected officials are being as lazy as they can be now. Um, they're not even right. doing the hard work of trying to manage government, trying to manage a budget, trying to control spending. Now it's just how much money can we spend? And this is why ever since 2008, when Obama took office, the, the debts have just actually taken off on a sharper increase in terms of the increase of debt that we issue. We were at nine trillion dollars in debt when Bush was in office. We're now at twenty-eight trillion. Just that's how fast this debt is rising. Right. So again, you know, we are just at a a point where we're increasing debts. We're running, you know, massive deficits, and all of a sudden, everybody's going, "I can't figure out why we can't get stronger economic growth." I got a clue for you. <laughs> you know, at some point, right. you're going to have to start running government properly. 
Right. And, you know, we're starting to hear chatter about raising taxes, but those tax increases are going to be few and far between. Mm-hmm. And look, even if they do raise taxes on the very wealthy, it's not a whole lot of money. It's not going to do a whole lot. Even if they raise corporate taxes, corporations get around taxes. Corporations, yeah. here's a little inside secret. They don't pay taxes. Right. Look at how many companies pay so little in taxes that make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They're smart. They get around it. Right. Same with the wealthy. So the, the, the tax, you know, the taxes, the tax revenue to the Treasury may rise a little bit. But when you're looking at deficits of three, four trillion dollars, you know, it's not going to be paid for. And it's just accumulating debt that has to be issued to pay for that three or four trillion. But then in two years, when and five years and 10 years and 30 years, when that debt matures, it has to be issued again and again and again. And there's nothing to pay for it. There's no income. They didn't invest in in something that will actually create tax revenue. Right. They're just handing out money in many cases. And a lot of this infrastructure is not infrastructure that will pay back. Some of it is, Mm -hmm. but most of it isn't. And that's like we always talk about unproductive debt that can't pay itself back. And this hole just gets deeper and deeper, and the hole draws in the Fed because the government can't fund it. The government can fund itself, right? Right. But they can't fund itself at 1%. They can fund itself at 3%, 4%, whatever. We don't know what the number is because capitalism isn't allowed to work. Right. So So the Fed has to come in, and right, they own over a quarter now of all treasuries outstanding. And they've got to find, and basically, yeah, and they've got for every time we go through new debt issuance, the Fed's got to basically monetize twenty to thirty percent of it just to keep interest rates where they are. Right, right. So when we talk about QE, some of it has nothing to do with the stock market. Some of it has nothing to do with the economy. Some of it is just who's going to fund the federal, the treasury, U.S. Treasury Department, and keep rates so that rates can stay at a at an affordable place. Because again, if if interest rates go up to four or five percent. The interest expense on that debt adds another trillion of borrowing needs, trillion and a half, whatever the number is. Plus, the entire economy is completely debt-driven now from mortgages to credit cards to auto loans, et cetera. And if you go to 4 or 5% interest rates at this point, you destroy the economy because people stop buying houses, they stop buying cars, they stop buying stuff, period, and they can't afford to make the payments. So, you know, that's why rates can't go up. And this is is a huge problem for the Fed. At this point, with inflation running at five, five and a half percent, that's a very big threat for the Fed. But, you know, to your point is that we continue to go down this pathway of more debt issuance and 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 hoping that at some point you can raise tax rates to 100 percent and you're not going to change the rate at which corporations pay taxes. Tax rate is not the way to raise more revenue. You've got to change the tax code as long as the tax code is about a billion pages full of loopholes, corporations are going to hire tax lawyers to make sure they can maximize their tax efficiency. That's what they do. So don't hate the player, which is the tax rate. Hate the game, which is the code, and start getting your legislative appointees to change the code if you want to fix the tax problem. Be right back after the break. Coming up today, of course, also is not only the problem with the continuing resolution that's got to get passed here in order to fund the government through December the 3rd, 
But now the problem becomes also the infrastructure bill. Now, remember, we have two infrastructure bills we're talking about here. One is the bipartisan bill, which was voted on by the Senate and passed. The House is yet to vote and pass that infrastructure bill. That's the $1.2 trillion bill. And then there's the $3.5 trillion spending bill that they want to pass that does all the other social agenda for the Biden administration. So these are the two bills that are hung up. Now, with the continuing resolution passed, they still have to pass the debt ceiling increase, right? Because, again, what the debt ceiling is, is that's the limit to the amount of debt that the Treasury can actually issue. And the Treasury is now at that limit. So when they pass continuing resolution, yes, that funds the government. They still have to raise the debt ceiling to issue more debt in order to pay for that spending that's going forward. So again, the continued resolution will pay for what we've already spent and committed to spend, but we still have to raise the debt to do it. So a couple of things still have to get done here over the course of the next couple of weeks. The debt ceiling has to be raised according to the Treasury by October the 18th. There's some wiggle room in that date. Could be a bit longer. The Fed, the Treasury has, you know, constant flows of money coming in. We're right in the middle of tax collection season for late uh, for uh, delayed filings. So September 15th and October 15th, you've got uh, um, tax revenue coming in as people pay late taxes. So the, that eight, October 18th isn't a hard and fast deadline. There's also what they call emergency measures the Treasury can take. They can borrow from the Fed pension fund. They can do a lot of other things to get access to capital, to make payments, and they will make payments on the mandatory spending. What is mandatory spending? That is interest on the debt. That means the bonds get paid. That Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, those get paid. Military gets paid. Everything else has to get put off, and that's where you wind up with a government shutdown if you don't have the continued resolution. So there are some things that still have to get done. Nancy Pelosi talking about that they might try to pull a vote on the infrastructure bill today, but she's not sure she has the votes. And now Senator Manchin and uh, Simia from Arizona are now pushing back against the $3.5 trillion spending bill. And Joe Manchin out yesterday saying, you know, look, pulling $3.5 trillion at this point when we can't even pay our debt that we've got is absolutely fiscal insanity. And this is a Democrat, mind you, from Virginia. And this really throws a wrench into the whole kind of game plan of the Biden administration. And so far, Manchin seems to be holding pretty firm to his line that he's not going to vote for a $3.5 trillion spending bill. He will vote for a smaller bill, but we don't know what that number is. So, again, kind of turmoil in Washington, kind of the Democratic agenda really at risk here at the moment. And they've kind of got themselves into a corner. Republicans are standing back going, hey— um, we just beat you at baseball yesterday, so we're not going to do anything else. <laughs> so, so you're on your own. And, the, and as Mike said earlier in the show, the Democrats have all the power right now, right? They control the House and the Senate. They can pass the debt ceiling. They can uh, increase the budget limit. They could pass the $3.5 trillion spending bill if they can get Joe Manchin on board. They can do all that on their own. They don't need one Republican to get them to do that. Um, the problem is, as we've said before, and as we talk about tomorrow in our post, with states that are, you know, a bit more purple, so to speak, and we saw a lot of states, you know, elect Senate uh, uh, Democratic candidates uh, that normally vote Republican in the last election, they're on, they're kind of on the borderline. And these kind of more moderate Democratic states like Virginia, Joe Manchin's state, he's got to go home and, and kind of explain 
three and a half trillion dollars worth of deficit spending to a a moderate state, and that may that's make a, it. That's difficult. a very conservative state. West yeah, Virginia. and that and that may make it very difficult for a lot of these Democrats to get elected, uh, reelected, come next year. So this is really kind of an all or nothing game now for the Democrats, and we may see more splintering uh, before this is all done. Right. And look, at the end of the day, we know that almost all of them, I'm not going to say all of them because maybe there are a few good ones out there. They want to do what's best for their party, which ultimately means it's best for them to get reelected. Right. And, and so by the way, not, we're talking both parties, not Democrat or Republican. This is all parties. Right. 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 And look, Joe Manchin, West Virginia is a very conservative state. It's amazing that they have a Democratic senator. Right. But he has to appease that conservative base and fight things like this, whether, you know, who knows what he believes in. He, he may think that three and a half trillion isn't enough. There should be more. But there's no way he's going to win a reelection in West Virginia. Right. So he's going to do what's best for him and try to, you know, in theory, that then he should better represent the views of his state. But there's not it's not just him. There's, you know, another five to ten, mm-hmm. you know, that are also balking because they're not going to get reelected. They're going to lose their power. And Biden, you know, Biden's handlers understand this. They know that that if they lose in the Senate and if they lose the House, they've lost their power. They have no more power anymore. And I think they know that. And I think that's why there's a big rush to get this done. They're like, we have the power right now to do this. We better do it now because we're probably not going to retain this power in the next election. A lot of the last election was simply a... A, a vote against Trump. It wasn't really a vote for somebody. Right. It was a vote against Trump. And a lot of the never Trumpers and a lot of those of the people that didn't like Trump, they voted for Democrats, even though they're normally vote Republican. And so we saw this temporary switch. That won't be the case. And particularly if the Republicans run a decent candidate in the next election, um, that's you know, that's going to really start to pull a lot of those people back to their normal voting lines. And that's going to and I think the Democrats really understand this. And that's why there's such a huge rush to try to get this massive legislative agenda passed now, because the, the, uh, the truth of all things is, is that once you pass something like the Affordable Care Act, and we talked about this when we passed the Affordable Care Act back in 2008, once you institute a government program and get people on it, you can't get rid of it. You can't take stuff away from people. So again, if they, if the Democrats can succeed and get um, the child welfare situation, you know, increased, where the child tax credits go up and people are getting more money directly from the government, and we get free college, it's very difficult to come take those things away in the future. And and, and that's why they never do. And these these government programs stay around forever because you just can't take stuff away. So that's why there's this big rush to do it. And if they get it done, we're going to be stuck with it permanently, regardless of who gets elected going forward. Right. And look, you're also going to sprinkle money around, too. If you get this bill, you're going to give people money. They're going to feel a little better. The economy will do a little better. Corporations will make a little more money. Stock market may rise because of that. So you have you, you increase your odds from an economic point of view, too. Right. Right. It's much easier to get elected when the stock market's going up, when people are doing well. You know, everyone's like, you know, I may I may be in this party, or that party, but I'm doing really well. Let's just keep the party going. Yeah. So if they can get some of that money spent, that helps them. But I think this is a huge deal over the next year. It, it's can the Democrats hold on to both the House and Senate, which today it doesn't look like they can. But things change sure. and things can change rapidly. Um, 
But but you're going to have to see the Democrats starting to move a little bit towards a more conservative position because there are enough Democrats that will not vote on three to four trillion dollar spending bills. They can't. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be reelected. Well, so, yeah, so, and that's right. And, and and I think ultimately we'll see this bill come. And, and like I said, Manchin's already said that, you know, he won't vote for three and a half trillion. But there's a number he will vote for. And, and And the question is, is. But again, you know, and this is the interesting thing, right? We're already talking about 1.2 trillion, right? And so now you're talking about another three and a half trillion. So do some math here. That's 4.7 trillion. That's additional spending. That's spending on top of what it takes just to run the government, which runs about four trillion a year now. So, you know, we're talking about massive deficit increases, regardless of what size bill they get passed. And Lance, that includes tax increases. Yeah. Right. That's, That's right. part of the bill. That's you know, one of the phony statements I keep hearing is we have to pass this package because we have to pay for the debt. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? It, it, you're you're spending even more money. <laughs> right. I, I know there are tax increases in there to help pay for it. Yeah. But if you had enough tax increases in tax increases in there, the spending package would be zero. We got this zero dollar spending package right. full of tax increases and spending increases, and it all washes out. Right. But it's not zero. But, it's a lot more than zero. Well, and look, and, and when you hear this, uh, there was an actual comment yesterday. Joe Biden said that his three and a half trillion dollar package costs zero dollars in, in reality. And look, it, it, that's fine to say that. But this is just a function of, you know, what they call fuzzy math, because, you know, you, you do you make assumptions like the economy is going to grow at eight percent a year over the next decade and interest rates are going to remain at 1% and if that all occurs and we have you know massive growth and no interest rate increases then yeah the the entire bill will pay for itself the problem is that doesn't happen a you have recessions right. b if you had 8% growth in some dreamland world of getting back to that point then you'd have much higher inflation. So, and then if you had much higher inflation, you have a lot of higher interest rates. So, you know, the, the math is always great to do, but it's never centered around any type of reality that, that an economy actually works in. So you've got to be very careful when you hear these headlines. Oh, you know, we're going to increase spending by another X, Y, Z amount. And it's okay, though. It's all going to pay for itself. If that was the case, we wouldn't be in $28 trillion worth of debt right now. And going up by yeah. <laughs> three to four trillion a year, right? Despite the economy not going up by nearly as much. Exactly. That's how you know what you're in trouble. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, markets are set to open up this morning. Um, Mike, what do you think here? Markets trying to hold the 100-day moving average. Again, you know, investors have, you know, taken a pretty good beating here over the last couple of weeks, getting pretty washed out here. Um, what's your outlook? Real quick. Look, the, you know, the trend is your friend. So you got to follow the trend. But but if it breaks trend, you know, breaks the 100 day, it could be the 200. So, you know, go with the benefit of the doubt, follow it up. But just be careful. Yeah. Have a little bit of risk management in there somewhere, just in case. Exactly. Uh, be willing to sell something. That's always a, a good start. Uh, be, so that wraps up the show for today. Michael, thanks so much. Uh, get by the website. Michael's article on China is out. Uh, it's on the website now along with a new article out from our new uh, insurance consultant here at, at RA Advisors on it's time to file for college aid. If your kid's getting ready to go to college, you got to start filing for your college financial aid. That article with all the links on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get by the website, send us your questions, comments, emails, whatever we can do. Happy to do it. Daily commentary out up right now, talking about the markets for today, what you need to be looking at, and more. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow. If I had a little money 
sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.